Well, there are a number of um, obstacles or barriers that get in the way. A very common one is that we worry or we fear that if we ask that um, we're going to be we're going to appear to be incompetent. Um, like, uh, oh, you should be able to solve that problem yourself. Or why do you need that resource? Why do you need whatever it might be? So people worry that they'll appear to be incompetent, weak, ignorant, not able to do their jobs. But here, the research is very helpful for updating that belief. And it's a very common belief. The research says, as long as you make a thoughtful request, people will think you are more competent, not less. Hi there, ladies and gentlemen. Today, we are joined all the way from the USA by Wayne Baker. He is the author of a fantastic book called All You Have to Do is Ask, How to Master the Most Important Skill for Success. And wouldn't that be amazing if just asking for the things we need in a right way, quote unquote, if that was all it took for us to get all the success that we need in our business and in our lives, wouldn't that be amazing? And this is what Wayne subscribes to. Now, Wayne is super qualified. He is an American sociologist, author, consultant, and speaker, and a professor at the Michigan Ross School of Business and faculty director at the Center for Positive Organizations. So some things to pay attention to, guys, is we talk about this premise of how to get what you want by simply asking. We talk about how the world's most successful companies like Google, General Motors, and IDEO are using his premise to empower individuals, teams, and leaders to get what they want by simply asking for help. We also unpack SMART, uh, the new definition, as he puts it, around how to ask for things that you really want. And we get into the framework there that can really be applied right now in your business. We talk about rejection, and uh, he shares a very powerful story about 100 days of rejection just so inspiring and just so 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 much more guys so thank you so much for your time but one more thing before we start if you haven't yet joined the community you can join smerocketfield.com for free about 10 percent of our community is applying for funding and that is a really exciting statistic to share at this point and thank you once again for all of your support so without further ado let's get on with the show Three, two, one, and we're live. Hey guys, welcome back to yet another cracking installment of the Matt Brown Show powered by smerocketfuel.com. We are joined all the way from the US today by Wayne Baker. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Matt. Glad to be here. No, the privilege is all ours. Uh, so for all of you uh, catching this uh, exclusive member content uh, on uh, smerocketfuel.com, Hello and welcome, uh, and uh, please do fire through your questions as we go through this episode. So, uh, Wayne, um, why don't you kick us off? We're going to be talking about, obviously, your book, uh, which I'm bringing up on screen here for, for everyone. So it's called All You Have to Do is Ask How to Master the Most Important Skill for Success. So lots to get into here today, uh, but Wayne, uh, let's uh, do the elevator pitch. Who are you? What are you about? What's the whole context for what we're going to be talking about today? Well, the, the general context is a person's success or the success of a team, a group, or an entire organization. And one way that we're successful is by getting all the resources that we need. And resources can be information, advice, even emotional energy, data, whatever it might be, financial resources. But those things usually don't come to us unless we ask for them. Um, they're essential for our success. Thinking about the difference between trying to solve a problem all by yourself 
are tapping into a network of other smart people to help solve that problem. You probably will do better by crowdsourcing the problem than by trying to solve it yourself. That would be just one example. But the idea is that a person is successful in part based on what they know, but also their ability to tap their network to get resources that they need um, from other people. And what I found uh, way back when, probably over 20 years ago now, is that people won't give you the resources you need unless they know what you need. Uh, Most people are very generous and willing to help you, but you have to ask. In fact, I've learned that the secret to generosity is not getting people to help. That's usually not the problem, but everyone struggles with making a request, with asking for what they actually need. And the book is all about how to overcome that, the barriers to it, what you can do as an individual, a group, or an entire organization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting insight. That I mean, it, if you don't ask, you don't get. I mean, that's one that's one saying that's in my head at the moment. Uh, and I've like I'm a big believer in that. It's like I think you know, as entrepreneurs and founders, we we kind of talk ourselves out of the the main event before it even starts. You know, uh, because we have this thing. Many of us have this thing called imposter syndrome. So it's this, uh, you know, people are going to find out that I'm a fraud. You know, I'm not worthy. I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough to talk to that CEO. I'm not good enough to talk to that uh, that ideal customer of mine or that, you know, by the way, I had that same problem when I started this podcast like six years ago. I didn't believe anyone would want to sit down and have a conversation with me. You know what I mean? Because who am I? You know, and uh, six years later, it's like a different thing. And I tell my team that produced the show, I tell them, go straight for that person. I don't care how big they are, David Goggins, Leif Babin, you know, Jeffrey Moore, it doesn't matter. Just go ask, ask. And it's fascinating how much access you can get. Uh, I mean, you're here. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, uh, and it's, I'm like the living embodiment of that, of that principle that you, that you're, um, you know, the premise of your book, which is, you know, you must ask, but we don't. And I want to maybe spend some time with you there. Why don't we ask? Like, what what stops us? Well, there are a number of um, obstacles or barriers that get in the way. A very common one is that we worry or we fear that if we ask that um, we're going to be we're going to appear to be incompetent, um, like, uh, oh, you should be able to solve that problem yourself. Or why do you need that resource? Why do you need whatever it might be? So people worry that they'll appear to be incompetent, weak, ignorant, not able to do their jobs. But here, the research is very helpful for updating that belief. And it's a very common belief. The research says, as long as you make a thoughtful request, people will think you are more competent, not less. For example, if I come to you, um, you know, with all the experience you've had over the last uh, six years with this podcast and all the people you've met, the success of your business, and I came to you for advice on something, say, as an entrepreneur, um, what I'm saying is that, you know, I value you. I think that you have good, uh, a good advice, that you're a good source of information and so forth. And so, you know, it's most likely that you're going to think better of me because I had the wisdom to come and talk to you. And I wasn't afraid to ask when I really needed some help or some advice. So that's a common one. Another common barrier is that we assume from the beginning that, you know, people aren't able to help. They're not willing to help. I don't want to be in a position on them. And here again, the research is really helpful is that most people will help, will respond uh, as long as you ask. 
In fact, there was this great study done by Frank Flynn, who's now at Stanford University. He did this with others when he was at Columbia, where so this took place in Manhattan. And he said uh, he brought people into his laboratory and said, "Okay, here's the here's the task. You need to go out into the streets and you need to go up to a complete stranger and ask to borrow their cell phone. And all you could say was. Uh, can I use your cell phone? You couldn't give a sob story or explain why that's all you could say. Well, so many people who had signed up to participate in this experiment uh, to go out into the streets and do that. When they heard that they had to approach a stranger, they quit. They just dropped the study, right? They weren't going to participate, but many people did participate. And before they went out, they were asked, how many people do you think, how many strangers do you think you need to ask you know, before you'll get a cell phone. And people would say, oh, four, five, infinity, I'll never get one. You know, but the numbers were, you know, you're going to have to ask a lot of people in order to get a cell phone from a stranger. Amazingly, the first person you ask lets you use their cell phone. And if it's not the first person, it's the second person. Again, so people will respond, um, will respond in a positive way as long as you ask. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. It's interesting, right? Because I, when I was single, running around America, uh, you know, and you'd see like a gorgeous drop dead, you know, woman walk into a bar, what have you. And uh, when when I was younger, I would never ask for her phone number. You know what I'm saying? Because it was this idea, like, no, she's out of my league or whatever. And like, it's so easy to, you know, come up with the story about why you can't have the thing that you really want. Um, and but I learned quite quite quickly, I suppose, as I got, as I got older, that um, I, I kind of, I suppose, unlocked the resourcefulness, I guess, to overcome that simple thing, which is take an interest and ask for a number to a point where it wasn't even a, a problem anymore. But I think in many cases, I'm using that as a kind of a, a, an idea that everybody can relate to in their own way. Uh, but, um, for, but it takes courage, you know, to take that next step to go, okay, I have a problem with asking for help. I have a problem with being vulnerable. I have a problem with what, like, you know, picking up the phone and saying, hey, I have something valuable to offer you, Wayne Baker or Mr. CEO of a bank. Uh, and I don't. And so I'm stuck. And so when you're stuck, you, do, you typically, you have, the, it's not that you don't have the resources, you're just stuck. So uh, I'd love to maybe get your views on how do you break patterns? where you're like, I hate cold calling people, you know, um, how do I go from that to the, you know, the monster salesperson that is very comfortable having those kind of cold, you know, uncomfortable quote unquote 
conversations? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really important question. It's something that almost everyone struggles with. I've struggled with it in the past as well. And I've learned to apply my own lessons uh, from the book. So there, there are four parts to it. So the first part uh, is critical, which is before you make a request, before you ask for anything, you want to think about, you know, what are you trying to achieve? What's your goal? What's your objective? Even what's your vision, you know, of what you're trying to achieve? All right. So once you're clear on that, then you can say, okay, well, given that goal, um, what's a resource that I need? Maybe it, maybe it is financial resources. Maybe it's venture capital or angel financing, but also could be just a good contact for helpful advice uh, for something. Um, so you've got the goal, you know what you're trying to achieve. It's important to start there. Then you say, okay, well, what resource or resources do I need? And to think about that. And then the third part of these four steps is to then formulate your request using what I call smart criteria. Now we're all familiar with smart criteria for goals, and this is this is a little different. It's smart rec- uh, criteria for requests. So the S is specific, and the more specific your request, uh, the better. Um, and that has to do with the way in which the the human mind works, which is a very specific request will trigger your memory of what you know and who you know. Right. So it's like those are different ways that people can help and say, okay, I've got the resource and I can share it with you, give it to you, whatever, or I don't, but I can tap my network and connect you to someone who's got that particular resource, say it's advice. All right. So that that's the S. The M, and this is quite different from the M for smart goals. The M there is measurable. Um, and that's fine. Measurability is fine. Here it's meaningful. It's the why of the request. And you know, Matt, it's interesting that a lot of people leave that out and just assume that, you know, if I'm asking people know it's important, but people never know why it's important. So you need to explain why is the request meaningful? For example, what will it help you to accomplish? Uh, what good will you do in the world by getting this resource? Um, you know, what goals will you achieve? But explaining the why is really important. Mm. The A is asking for something to be done. So it's A for action. Just restating a goal is not a is not a request. A goal is a destination. A request is helped, something that helps you move towards that destination. Um, the R is for what I call uh, strategically realistic. So it's got to be, it could be a stretch request. It could be a really big request. That's fine as long as it's strategically, you know, it, that is possible, that is strategically realistic. So, you know, you want to colonize Mars next year, probably not going to happen. Um you know, 20 years from now, it, it could happen. Uh, in fact, this will be a little bit of an aside. I, I use some of the tools in the book uh, with the first year medical students at the Mayo Clinic. And there was one, uh, one person who was studying to be a doctor and her request was just that, is that she wanted to be the physician on a space flight to Mars. Now you think about that, for me, that would be through, completely, I'm way too old and I don't have any medical training, right? So that would be unrealistic for me. But for her, it was a big request, but it was realistic because, you know, given her age, she was in her about her mid-20s. She's studying to be a physician at one of the top medical schools at the world, at the Mayo Clinic. Um, and we know, you know, probably in the next 10, 15 years, there'll be a, there'll be a flight to Mars. And so it's actually possible for her, right? Mm-hmm. She got amazing help. Someone had a connection at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Somebody knew somebody at NASA and go on. But that's, that's the rest of that story. Um, so it has to be strategically realistic. Um, but that will differ from person to person. And then T is time. 
it has to be, you have to have a deadline. And the more specific the deadline, uh, the more motivated people will be to help. So any request you make, in fact, I found this, uh, this works with my, uh, my uh, college age son who, uh, uh, when he was growing up, if I use those smart criteria, especially the M, you know, the, the why I'm asking him to do something, he's much more likely to do it. And I, I try not to use the method that my dad used with me, which was, you'll do it because I told you so, right? And so that's just using, you know, parental authority uh, to get someone to comply. But you want someone to do it because they understand the importance of it, why it's meaningful. Mm. So that's the third part. Remember, we started, what do you, what do you try to achieve? That's the goal, the objective. And then you say, okay, okay, what resource or resources do I need? Then what's a smart request? And then the final one is that, who are you going to ask? And I put that last because you have to know what you're asking for and work out the whole smart criteria before you really know who to ask. Maybe it's not that, that angel. Maybe it's someone else, right? So, uh, and we could talk a lot about all the ways that you could ask, because sometimes you don't know who to ask, but you can use the, what I call the two-step method. You know, it's like, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know who the expert is that I need, but I know someone who probably does know who the expert is, like a two-step or two-degree. Um, or I could uh, crowdsource. I could post a request to, uh, you know, a LinkedIn group that I'm a part of or something, you know, and, you know, and I'll, I'll tap the network. So those are the four parts. That's really cool. There's lots to get into there. I want to start with um, the objective. So one of the things uh, I fully agree with is like being clear around what you want out of a, uh, out of an engagement because like the other day I, um, I phoned a, a old, like one of our first customers, but I hadn't spoke to um, this uh, executive for some time. And um, I found myself like getting a little bit like word twisted, you know, on the phone and which is very unlike me. And I was, cause, cause I wasn't entirely clear in my mind around what I was trying to get. It was almost just like I was shooting the breeze. And so I obviously wanted to get something out of it, but I wasn't clear with myself about how I was going to do that, you know? Um, and I find that if you're not clear on your objective, you, you don't have focus. And when you don't have focus, you're always going to have doubt, you, you know, fear and all the things that like stop you from asking in the first place, yeah. all those things suddenly become present because you're not clear. So if you're clear to your point, then things, you know, tend to become a lot more, I suppose, um, energetic and, and manifestation led, I guess you kind of like get to bend reality to your will. Um, and, um, what I also love is that idea around meaning and, and why, why do you want to do this? Because like one of the things is in, especially in the entrepreneurship space, there's always a reason to quit. It's very easy to find one. You know, oh, this sucks. Like whatever, there's a sub story for everybody, uh, but um, you have to find a reason to finish. And it's about it's about that. I suppose again, it always comes back to to mindset. You know, um, and I maybe want to spend some time about with you on this idea of mindset because the more I think about it, and the more I learn and grow as a human being and as a founder entrepreneur, uh, mindset is is like the first thing you fix. You know, uh, because if you're clear and you have the meaning and the why and, you, and you, you know, all the things you mentioned in terms of the smart, which I love, um, then, uh, you know, and even the who, if you, if you, no, if you get starstruck, like you did, <laughs> you know what I mean? So you have to, you have to have that, that uh, what's that? It's like an impenetrable mindset. Like I'm going to do this no matter what. Um, how do we, in your experience, in the research, in the book, um, 
uh, and maybe just more broadly in your own life experience, how do you go about cultivating a, a high-performance, impenetrable mindset? Yeah, so mindset is is really critical. Um, one way to look at mindset, and psychologists will talk about the fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. So an entrepreneur has to have a growth mindset, which is that every request that they make has to be part of something that they need and that they're going to learn even if it gets rejected or it doesn't work out. You know, it's okay, I'm going to learn. Like, for example, there's a, oh, I read a great book and I talk about it in my own book. Uh, it was about 100 days of rejection. Mm-hmm. So uh, this author decided that, you know, he, he was an entrepreneur. Uh, John Jang was his name. Um, and he's an entrepreneur. He wanted to be the next Bill Gates. That was his, that was his goal. That was his vision. That was his dream. And he started a firm, he got financing, et cetera, but then it eventually all fell apart. Right. And he started to really doubt himself. Um, and so he decided what I'm going to do is that I'm going to develop, you know, strength by I'm going to go out and make a hundred requests designed to get rejected. So I figure if I get rejected a hundred times, you know, I'll become so strong. Um, you know, it's kind of like a martial arts way of doing this. I'll be so strong that I'll, that I'll have, I'll be, I'll have this armor and I won't ever be, I won't have the, the sting of rejection. I'll never feel that again. Um, so amazingly, he found a lot of these outlandish requests that he made. People actually said yes. So he was surprised by that. That was one thing he learned. But the other he learned is that a rejection is information. A rejection is not necessarily about you or the idea. People say no for lots of reasons. They say no because it's bad timing. Um, They're having a bad day. It's not a good fit. It's not part of their portfolio. It's not the right time, whatever it is. So it's like, so sometimes asking why will supply more information about it. And then you could use that information to retool the pitch or to uh, refine the request uh, that you want to make. And so, you know, I've, over time, I've become, you know, if, if, you know, most people want to say yes, most people want to help, but you will get some rejections. And over time, I've just come to learn that, you know, a rejection is just a rejection. It's not really about me or the idea, but it is information that I can learn from. And that's, that's a growth mindset. So if you can make that shift, it kind of takes the sting out of, out of the rejections. Uh, The other part of mindset, which Matt, as an entrepreneur, you know, and every entrepreneur knows is that you have to be resilient and not quit, right? Is that you've got to, you've got to keep trying, you know, you've got to keep putting yourself out there. And, you know, over time, this whole thing about making requests, uh, whatever it might be, it's like a muscle that the more you do it, the stronger it gets and the easier it is to actually do it. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and also you've got to get comfortable with failing. And I think that's probably the first, you know, and rejection and just like, no matter what, you have to kind of like push through it all, right? Otherwise, because it is, I mean, perseverance in my experience is the single greatest quality or predictor of future success. It's like, you know, t- t- today, so yes, today I lost my business. Tomorrow I'm going to find a new one. You know, it's not, it's just the business that failed. It's not me. You know, the market rejected the business, it didn't reject me. It's just a business. A business is like a legal entity on some paper somewhere. Is it you? <laughs> no, it's not. You own it. Uh, technically, yeah. even by law, you don't actually own it, which is quite interesting. Uh, hmm. There's some weird bylaw. When, you, when you're when you actually an, a director shareholder, you don't actually own the business. 
<laughs> it's quite interesting. The law, yes. if you get into the legalese, it's actually mm-hmm. true. Um, but um, maybe you want to take uh, shift gears with you for a second. Um, in your book, you share some practical examples, right, that companies use to kind of facilitate culturally getting people to ask you know, questions and things like that. I'd love for you to share some uh, real world examples of, you know, uh, this premise of the power of, of asking for, you know, whatever it is that you're looking for. Yeah. So we, we could talk about that at, you know, so the book is about what you can do as an individual, but also what you can do as a team to mm. create these positive practices built around normalizing requesting. Um, but in terms of, you know, I have so many stories now of that I've accumulated and a lot of which I have in the book about amazing things that have happened when people have been willing to put themselves out there and make a request. And the one that still stands out for me more than any other um, I had to do with this, uh, a little girl named Christina who lived in Romania. And so, you know, she's quite young. Um, and when she was growing up, again, as a very young girl, her parents had a sense that something wasn't quite, wasn't, something wasn't right. And it turned out, it looked like her head was not developing properly. Turns out that she had a condition called craniosynostosis. And so uh, the human skull is made of uh, several different bones. And as a baby, these bones are joined by these, these sutures, um, that, you know, if you ever touch the top of a baby's head, you feel that soft spot. That's where the, the plates come together. And that's where some sutures come together right there. And this is an ingenious design because what that means is that as the head and the brain grows, the whole skull can expand. But every now and then, one of those sutures will fuse prematurely and then the skull cannot grow. It can't expand. And so nothing good comes from this condition right? It means a permanently misshapen head and face. And that means a lifetime of ridicule and social isolation. It can lead to blindness, seizures, even death. Um, so they, they have this problem and they didn't know this can be corrected. There are a neurosurgeons know how to correct this condition. It's quite rare, but they know how to correct it. Um, but they, the chances of find somebody in Romania that could do this very delicate surgery were quite remote. Well, fortunately, Christina has an aunt named Felicia who lives and works at one of the business schools in France. And at this business school at INSEAD, they use uh, a number of the tools that I write about in the book, and they use them with all of their MBA students. Uh, and they're group level tools in which everyone needs to make a request and you spend most of the time helping other people. And part of the training for how to use these tools is that you actually have to engage in it yourself. So it's not just hearing about it and learning uh, the steps for it, but you actually have to do it. And so um, Felicia uh, made a, a personal request, and it was a referral to a surgeon who could correct this condition for her little niece back in Romania. Well, amazingly, or not amazingly, I've learned, um, help was right there in the room. There was an adjunct professor, uh, also at INSAD, who worked there part-time, whose full-time job was a pediatrician at um, at one of the um, pediatric hospitals in Paris. He goes, I know we have surgeons on our staff who can fix this problem. I'll make an introduction. One thing led to another. Christina and her family came from Romania, came to Paris. She had this operation. It was a complete success, right? And... Um, I've, I find that story so inspiring that I actually have a, a picture of Christina up on my 
on my bookshelf over here, which you can't see. Um, I have a picture of just to remind me of, of the power of asking for what you really need and explaining why it's so important. Um, so I, I got plenty of business examples too, but that personal one really stands out to mm. me as you know an incredible illustration uh, of the power of the request and then the generosity that it elicits. Cool. I'm going to do that. I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'm going to put your methods to the test uh, because um, we're in the middle of a of a capital raise right now. So <laughs> we're. I'm going to ask for uh, you know capital. Here's why and all that. I'm going to totally do that. I'm actually going to send you a mail when I'm successful because I'm going to be another case study for your for your next book. Um, Great. Yeah, legitimately. Um, I think it's really key. Um, I would love, though, uh, just if you could maybe spend a little bit of time around the team side of things. Um, a lot of our guys have teams. Um, and this, by the way, is absolutely true in my business. It's like I, I'll go to the – I'll set the, the value, if you like, the organizational value and say, listen, if you need help, we'll, you know, we'll help you. We'll, we'll support you in success and in failure. Like It's all good, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but what you must not do – is make a, a, a you know catastrophic error because you were negligent and you needed help and you just sat there and you made the mistake you know that's reckless because there's other people in the business that could have just said no 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 don't do that this is why and you know you're good you can avoid the situation and it's fascinating because this is legitimately something that's been happening in my business you know over the last few years but people don't ask for help they sit there and the um and and what and especially now you know with covid and everybody sitting at home and working from home it's very easy to self isolate more than ever so mm-hmm. because i can't see you it's like well i trust that you're going to ask for help but inevitably people don't because they don't want to it's like an ego thing i suppose where they don't um they don't they don't want to feel they don't want to uh, create a perception that they're not good enough you know, yeah. um, and so as leaders, you're trying to encourage this value. So I'd love for you to unpack the dynamics around that, if you could. And then, uh, you know, how do we instill that value as a team? Yeah, well, it's really critical for a team, a group, or an entire organization to um, implement practices that bring out generosity. I've come to, to, to realize that, you know, all the answers you need, all the resources you need are out there somewhere in the network, but you've got to activate them by making a request. A very powerful way of making a request is to do it in a, in a group setting. But if you do it in a group setting, it can't just be that, you know, the spotlight's on you and everyone's focused on you and you're being vulnerable and making a request. It has to be part of a routine or a practice in which it's normal to make requests. So I can give you a couple of examples that I write about in the book, and these uh, these work in a remote or virtual environment as well. One is the um, the daily standup. So the standup is very well known in IT and software development firms, um, but has widespread application. So one of the roles I have is that I'm the director of our Center for Positive Organizations at the University of Michigan, and uh, we have a standup. Every day at 10 o'clock, the staff does. It was done face-to-face, and I'm going to describe that in a moment, but now it's done through Zoom, right? So a lot of these things can be done through Zoom or other of these other digital tools very, very easily. So the stand-up uh, is quite simple. So everyone in a group will stand in a circle or get into on a Zoom call, and one by one, each person has to address three points. 
here's what I worked on yesterday. Here's what I'm working on today. And here's something that I need. Here's the help I need, or here's the information that I need. Right. So those are the rules of participation. So you're required to make a request for something. And you know, if it's a requirement, if it's a group requirement, it is much, much easier to make a request. In fact, not making a request is not following the rules. It's breaking the rules and it's letting the group down. So it's kind of shifts it from this individual thing to now it's a group responsibility. Mm. So, and then very quickly, this would go around and everyone would say, here's what I worked on yesterday. Here's what I'm working on today. Here's a resource I need or, or help that I need or advice that I need. And the help or advice is given later on. So I've seen this uh, work uh, with a um, software development firm of 60 developers, and they can accomplish this in less than 15 minutes every day. But what it does is that it releases all of the resources that are available there in in that group or in the network that people of the group are are connected to. Um, So that that would be one example. Um, And that could be done, I can be done in, in any group. Um, and when you do that, then, you know, you really release it. An- another one also very easy to do. Uh, I've learned this from, um, it's called one of the liberating structures and it's called the, uh, the Troika, uh, Troika meaning three. And so it's done in, in groups of three. So, but it's a similar thing to the standup is that everyone gets into a group of three. So you could do this in, in zoom breakout rooms, if you want to, I've done it that way with my, 100 MBA students at the same time, we had, you know, a whole bunch of these little breakout groups. They all had to uh, complete one of the worksheets in the book, which helps people figure out those parts we talked about before. What am I trying to achieve? What resource? Smart request. Okay. And who you're going to help, who you're going to ask is the other two people in your, in your troika. And then you go ahead and do it. Right. And so then it's done very quickly in this, in this little group of three. And even in a group of three, it's amazing how much help is given or how many connections are made. Again, it normalizes asking. Um, now you think about that. This can be done on a very, very large scale. I've done it. Uh, for example, I was giving a presentation in a conference center here um, near my home, and there was about 1,900 people in the audience. And I set, I said, here's the rules. Here's what we're going to do. All right. Find some partners, right? In groups of three, you not you have you've got ten minutes. You know, make your your smart request. The other two people think about how they can help. They've got the answer, or they can tap their network to get an answer for you, and so forth. So, fifty minutes later, everyone sits down. I mean, there's an incredible amount of buzz and energy when we did this. They all sit down, and I say, okay, if you got help, would you stand up? And we estimated at least seventy five percent of the audience stood up. And that was in these little groups of three in something that just took 15 minutes, Mm. you know? So, and this kind of thing. So groups and and teams that I know, whether they do it remotely now or they do it face-to-face or will do it face-to-face again in the future, these simple practices normalize asking. They make it a group or team requirement to ask and makes it a lot easier. And then they discover all the answers or resources they need are just there, just outside just outside their fingertips waiting for the request. Hmm. So interesting, right? Because uh, if you think about it, um, you know, the idea of, well, I suppose it's not an idea, but it's a reality that we're more connected than ever before. And um, and it's that old, I think, I don't know where it comes from. Maybe you could uh, help me out here, but it's that idea of, you know, we're six degrees of separation 
It's like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that was before the internet. <laughs> it's like yeah. people were still yeah, connected. Right, you yeah. know what I'm saying? So what yeah. is it now? Like 0. 0.6 <laughs> or something like yeah. that? Or 60%. I don't know. But, um, but do you want to, you want to go? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's, I mean, it's with all of the tools that we have available now is that we really can expand our reach. So remember the four parts, what are you trying to achieve? What resource do you need? Smart criteria. Then who do you ask? Because sometimes the who is a network or a group, or it could be on. So I'll give you, I'll give you two, two examples of that, um, that I've used. Uh, So one is that, so I live in Michigan, which is the middle of the Great Lakes. So there's like these freshwater oceans all around us. And so like a lot of people in Michigan, I love to go boating. And so I have an old boat and there's always something breaking down. Right. And I don't know how to fix it, but there is a Facebook group for people who own this kind of boat and they're all over the world. And so I'll say, I'll post it to say, oh, this this broke. How do I replace this? I'll get two or three answers because somebody in Europe, someplace has already run into this problem and and they know how to solve it. So there's an example, posting it to strangers. Well, all we have in common is that we all own the same boat and run into these, these kinds of repairs that we need to do. Another one is that we've taken the principles from the book and created a a digital platform called Givitas. So Givitas is kind of a blend of giving and Civitas with Civitas meaning community. And this takes the principles and creates these large networks or communities that are based on those principles of making requests and making it very easy to make requests and to uh, give help to other people. So um, we have about eight or nine of these that are free open communities. So I would invite your listeners uh, to uh, to look it up and uh, and to and to join any of these. So we have one for entrepreneurs, for uh, women leaders, for I mean, go on and on and on. There's different one of these large communities. And so when I was writing this book, I often needed help, and I like I needed a new example of of X or I needed to learn about some new practices around asking or whatever. So I'm a member of a number of these Givitas communities. And I would say, look, I'm writing a book. And here's why I need an example of this. Can anyone help me? I'll tell you, it was amazing the number of people who came forward and said, sure, I, I can help you. Let's do an interview. And I would interview them and they end up being in the book. So one of my one of my favorite, most interesting ones was that I got connected to a human resource manager in Alaska who was an HR director for one of the Aboriginal corporations in Alaska for the indigenous communities. Um, you know, that's not someone I would normally meet here in the Midwest, right? And yet she was doing something really interesting and I interviewed her and I include that example in the book. So there's a, my acknowledgements in the book are really quite long because I kept track of every single person who helped me, no matter how big or small. And I want to make sure that I mentioned their name in the book. And a lot of those people were people I discovered by, you know, by crowdsourcing my request in that Givitas platform or LinkedIn or, or others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um it's such a cool thing that you that we're talking about this because um SME Rocket Fuel um has something as a feature on the, on the product it's called the community wall and it's literally a community intelligence wall. So, you know, if I have a problem with motivation or if I have a problem with sales or whatever, uh, I can go to this community wall and I can go, "Hey, this sucks for me. I don't know how to solve it. Can you help me?" 
And it's the mm-hmm. same principle, right? Which is that, yeah. you know, we're all connected. And if we can just ask for help, in fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this interview and I'm going to put it on the wall. <laughs> I'm going to tell the team to put it on the wall here and say, listen, if you're unsure, just watch this, <laughs> you know, um, and because uh, I think it's it's a relevant um, idea, right? Um, because I do think you're right. We, we don't ask. We don't want to be, as you know, at least from my perspective, you know, I don't want to ever... I want to be seen as successful, you know, as part of my identity. Like I believe I'm successful. So if I, if I have to do something that isn't in congruence with that identity that I have for myself, it's difficult, but actually, you know, um, being, uh, what's the word vulnerable is actually strength. It's not weakness. And I think society and culture, I mean, you've, you're literally like a professor on this stuff, but, uh, you know, uh, culturally there's this value where, especially in men, it's like, it's not appropriate to cry. It's not appropriate to be vulnerable. It's not appropriate to be weak. Um, and, uh, but as I say, there's this strength, uh, that you actually are cultivating when you are asking for help and being specific and, and all the stuff that you mentioned. Um, what's your advice to someone that's like, I'm not going to ever do that. I would say find a safe space, you know, find a safe space in which you can practice some of these principles. So it could be among close friends. It could be in a, maybe there's a community group or a, I don't know, a religious organization, something. There's something that you're a part of that can be a safe space for you to make a request. And if you don't have one, maybe you can make one. You know, there's a there's a concept I write about in the book called uh, a brain trust, right? So a brain trust would be a group of it, could usually a small group of, of advisors who are committed to helping one another. And so I've often... Um, so sometimes CEOs will say, okay, I, I, you know, I can't ask my employees for help. And I said, well, I think you should. All right. But if that's a problem for you, uh, create a brain trust. And they go, what do you mean? I said, well, find, you know, you know, five or six other CEOs in your area. They're probably feeling in a similar way, not your direct competitors and, you know, form one of these brain trusts where you can, you know, on a confidential basis, bring up problems or challenges and get advice uh, from one another. So you can create that little group that safe space. But that would be my advice is to find a safe space in which you feel comfortable enough. And you can also start with small requests. In fact, I've seen that um, when people have used some of the tools in my book over time, that a lot of times they'll start small with a request that's not very risky. um, It's not really putting themselves out there. Um, And invariably, what I found is that if they have a chance to use the tools again, they'll say, oh, I made this small request last time because I was playing to safe. But when I saw what's possible, man, I want to, I've got the request I really wanted to make and I'm going to make that today. Right. So they learn over time. Yeah, it's absolutely true. Uh, so uh, Wayne, um, just to maybe ask you a few more questions. Um, what would you say? I mean, I'm fascinated if you're talking about, you know, achievement, asking for help, et cetera. How have you applied these principles in, in your kind of own life? And, um, and what, would you point to as your greatest achievement? Yeah. So the, um, so I, I mentioned already about the writing my latest book was kind of crowdsourced, a lot of material in it. I crowdsourced that was, it It was just said, okay, I'm going to apply these. I'm writing about these principles. I'm going to apply these principles to make this a better book. Right. So that was, that was one. Um, I've done it with my, so I just have one, one kid he's in college and um 
you know, he's not afraid to ask for help, you know, and he's not, you know, afraid to, you know, to be vulnerable and at college and stuff, particularly this last year, you know, when they're all taking classes remotely and stuff, it was really difficult, you know, and that the fact that he has a skill. So I had to say, what would be my greatest achievement? It wouldn't be a career one. It would be that enabling him to, um, to apply this stuff and to be willing uh, to ask, you know, his hand, his hand will be the first up when mm. they say, are there any questions? His hand will be the first one up. So Wayne, you've obviously done a lot of research. Um, you're, you know, a, a proper academic um, and you're, you've won awards for teaching uh, and all this kind of stuff. I'd love to get your advice uh, about parenting and children. Cause you just to piggyback off what you've just described about your son, like how did you instill that value? Cause I've got two young kids and myself, sorry, in my own family. And um, I'm, and uh, and I would also love to be the best parent I can be and leader I can be for them. Uh, what's your advice to parents around, you know, encouraging children to ask for what they want? Because one of the most frustrating things is <laughs> when you have a three-year-old and you're like trying to figure out what they want. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, it's so That's hard right. to know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, with, yeah, especially with a three-year-old or when they're really young, it's hard to do it. So uh, there's a couple of things that I think that work and have worked, uh, have worked for us. Um, one is to be a role model of the behavior that you want, right? So like if you're, if they see you making requests for what you need and being comfortable in doing that, you know, they'll learn from you that it's okay to do that. Um, you know, or sometimes I would, with my own son, I would say, no, I was at work and I got stuck on this problem. And, you know, I went and talked to my you know, my colleague down the hallway and he really helped me out. It was just great, you know, and really helped me out with that. What I'm, I'm not, I'm not explaining what, you know, the why of it, I'm just saying, but what they learn by your example is that it's okay to make requests. The other is that would be when they're in school. So your three-year-old's not in school yet, but when, you know, when, when they are in school, it's to, um, you know, when they talk about their experiences, when they're stuck in something at school, I said, well, um, did you ask for help and say, oh, I didn't want to ask, or they, you know, then you could tell, well, who could you ask and help them through? Well, if you were to ask somebody, how, what would you ask for? And uh, who might you ask? And you could have a conversation with them to kind of help them through that process. Third thing that I'd say is that you could also be an intermediary, um, as particularly if it involves a, another adult. Um, so a number of times, you know, things have come up as my son was growing up where, you know, he wasn't afraid to ask, but it was some challenging things. And what he really needed was me to intercede and to, for me to talk to his teacher or for the two of us to have the meeting with the teacher or something, right? So there, and to make the request that way. Um, so that would be another, sometimes that you have to add the parent, you need to be a part of the, the process like that. Yep, absolutely. Um, Wayne, let's wrap this up. Uh, why do you do what you do? Why do you, why does this matter to you so much? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So it has to, so I've been a, a teacher for most of my career. And one of the reasons I went into that profession was to uh, enable other people to be successful to, uh, but in a very positive way. So it's not just about making money, although making money is a part of it, but it's to, um, 
to do things, to learn things, and to help people to apply things that would make the world a better place, uh, that would help them to be good citizens, that would help them uh, to be successful in their careers, but in a positive way. Or when they're leaders to create positive workplaces in which people are thriving and where they, they want to come to work and where they feel engaged, they don't feel beat down. Um, so, you know, I've always, you know, I started doing research in this area many, many, many years ago, but it's through the teaching that I really got to, to implement this stuff. And over time, um, I've done that more and more. In fact, one of the, it's very much connected with the book. This book is, this is book number six for me, but I have to say it's the most practical one that I've ever written because it is all about the how, how do you do this? I used to think was that motivating people to make requests would be enough. They'd figure out what to ask for and how to ask and all that. But I discovered that's really give people and leaders practices. So it's the answer to the how, what are the ways in which people do it? So motivation plus here's how you can actually do it. Here's the recipe. It's like cooking, right? You've never made this, this cake before, but if you follow the recipe, you'll come out with a cake. Same thing. Here's the recipes for actually doing it. Um, I think that's been a shift over time is to uh, help people figure out how to actually do it by showing them how it's done and then they can adapt it. Yeah. It's, um, it's so it's such a cool motivation. Uh, and I think, um, yeah, I, I would encourage all of us to go and check out Mark's book. Um, and I think this idea of if there was the, like, if there was one skill, it's a funny thing. If you think about all the things you could do and learn and, you know, fail at, if there was one thing that, was stopping you from getting what you really wanted. And it was just the ability to ask for the things we need. I think if that's, if that's all there is, like that's such a simple thing that we can all work on quite easily, you know? So I want to commend you and thank you for the work that you've done. Um, it's been a real privilege and honor to have you on the show. Um, and I'm sure uh, the members at smerocketfield.com will have thoroughly enjoyed this as well. So Wayne, thank you so much for your time. It's been uh, great to have you here. Oh, thank you, Matt. Time is going very quickly, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to uh, to meet you and talk with you, and uh, uh, and to meet all your listeners. Yes, and uh, good luck with the move. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> hey there, guys! At smerocketfield.com, you can access new markets and your ideal customers within seconds from a globally compliant data engine built specifically to help your business grow faster than ever before. And the best part, it's free. Yes, that's right. It is free. Head on over to smerocketfield.com and sign up for free today so that you can start accelerating your business growth faster than ever before, wherever you are with smerocketfield.com. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.